Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Futures for Finance. This week we are really excited to host Karen O'Connor. Karen is a leader in growth company strategy and venture capital private equity investing. She has been a CFA charter holder since 2007 and her expertise in investment encompasses all levels of the capital structure. Currently, Karen is an active investor in early stage and growth stage companies through Sarah Ventures and serves as president at Perimeter Advisors, empowering mid-sized companies through strategic advice. Most notably, Karen gives her time back to the next generation of college students by serving as a clinical assistant professor at the Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, where she teaches innovation and entrepreneurship. I'm Nina Tagliabu. Hi, I'm Mihir Nair. We are two undergrads at the University of California, Berkeley, and this is our second installment of our podcast. Welcome, Ms. O'Connor. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. So we're really excited to have you today. This should be a really fun episode. This is our second installment. And yeah, so just to start off, can you tell us a little more about your background in finance and what made you pursue your chartered financial analyst? Yeah, so those are uh, two separate questions, but let me kind of take the first one first, how I got into finance in the first place. Unlike you, I did not know much about the area. Uh, when I was an undergrad, I was actually a German major and I really liked German, but I started thinking about you know, what I wanted to do for work afterwards and started looking at business, the finance curriculum at the university was very flexible. So I signed up for it because it really, it enabled me to continue with German for one thing, as well as to sample an assortment of different kinds of business courses. And I thought that would be great since I didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, I took a class my junior year in banking that was taught by the president of one of the local banks in Champaign. And this guy would come to class, very upbeat, fun guy, with all these great stories about what was going on at the bank and the borrowers and how they were doing this and investing in that. And I just thought it sounded like fun. The big banks had these great training programs. And I thought, well, that's good because you know, I'm gonna need to be trained since I don't really know how to do anything. So I interviewed uh, for those and was able to uh, get a job in the training program at the Continental Bank which is now part of Bank of America, at the time was the largest bank in Chicago. Uh, and I started there and did a year-long training and ended up in um, a unit that invested in high-growth entrepreneurs. And that's really where I cut my teeth working with these people who are brave enough or crazy enough, however you want to look at it, to start companies uh, and build them from scratch. And we were typically their largest outside investor, we being the bank. So they looked to us for money, certainly, but also for advice. And we had uh, close relationships with these guys. And over uh, the four years that I spent in that unit, I watched them build some pretty impressive value for themselves. And it was fun to participate in that. Um, and I started playing with junior capital structures as a banker, but realized that where I really wanted to be was on the equity side. So um, ended up going back to school, back to Kellogg, actually, uh, and where I was able to segue my way into the VC world. That was in the late 80s. So that was a long time ago. Um, and I love to tell you 
more about that if you'd like, but fast forward to the CFA thing, which happened, as you said, I got my charter in, in 2007. Actually, it's, it's a pretty multidiscipline oriented uh, program. So I was able to, to pass three exams, three in a row and get my charter and, uh, you know, had a lot of fun doing that. Thank you. It's so great to hear about how you found your niche for equity and your path to your financial career, especially as a female as well, interested in the field. So um, you have in experiences with VCM, uh, private equity investing. And uh, to this end, how would you define venture capital and private equity? And um, after that, what do you think um, and feel the similarities and differences between the two are? Yeah. So first of all, I'm probably one of the few people you will meet who has experience in both the VC and what we call the private equity world. Uh, most folks tend to specialize. I've actually worked across more than just those two. I've done mezzanine, I've done leasing, I've done senior debt. So I've got this kind of funky, eclectic finance background that's, that's pretty unusual, but it's really fun. So VC is about investing in young high growth companies with a goal to spin up their revenue at the time of the investment. They are burning cash to fuel growth. At least that's the hope is that the cash is going to fuel growth. So that's venture capital. Companies are typically financed 100% with equity dollars and with the sweat equity of the founders. What we call private equity, and that's not really the right name, but that's the, the evolution and the term that is used in the marketplace. What we really mean is buyout investing. So a private equity or a buyout investor is looking for a more established business that is profitable, that is generating positive cash flow, and that has the ability to continue to grow. And growth for them is more about growing cash flow than it is growing top line revenue. So most of the time growing top line revenue is part of that underlying strategy. Now, because those companies have cash flow, you can put debt on those. So you can go to a bank or another type of lender and you can borrow part of the purchase price that you're, that you're paying to purchase that company. So typically the equity investor is putting some money in, but also borrowing on top. So they're gonna generate their return from a combination of growth of the business, of its cash flows, and a financial return because they're using leverage. At Kellogg, our students run annually a conference that they call the, the VCPE conference. And we used to do it downtown at one of the clubs. There are two tracks of programming typically. So there's one track for the VC interested folks and the other track for private equity. And it always struck me as funny because you could walk into that room and you could tell exactly which group was which. The private equity guys were wearing suits, ties, buttoned down, corporate looking. The venture folks were there with jeans. So even just the way they dressed and looked was very different. Yeah, thank you so much for that really insightful response. You kind of opened up about the nuances, you know, between venture capital and private equity investing. So I think you touched on, you know, different forms of growth. So you talked about top line revenue. And you talked about how like VC funding kind of like burns cash to fuel that growth, whereas like private equity or a more appropriate term to use for private equity is buyout investing involves these more um, established businesses that are profitable um, that generate positive cash flow. And that's like what, you know, kind of spurs their growth. So there's definitely yeah. some nuances there. Well, you know what? And you know, Mahir, something that's really interesting is that you'll see sometimes 
a private equity-owned company competing against venture capital back. Mm. And that's really interesting to watch because on the one hand, you have the private equity-owned company that has to be very careful about how it invests its funds because their focus is on that cash flow number, right? So they don't want that cash flow number to go down. They have to be very careful about return on any investment they make. The flip side of that is you have the VC-backed one that really wants to grow top line fast and almost doesn't care what they do. They're just throwing fuel on the fire. So if you're the private equity-owned business, you have to be super smart about how you use your assets and how you can find assets you might have that the venture-backed company doesn't and how you can use those. Because if it's just about money, the venture one is probably going to win that game. So you've got to be smarter. I've seen a couple of those situations. It's so fascinating to watch how creative people can be when they're, you know, they're facing competition like that. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for chiming in there. I think uh, it further explores, you know, the the subtle differences between both, and I think that both are definitely. You exciting. already discussed your experience as a professor at Northwestern University. Um, so you talked about how you're you're actually working with college students um, who want to grow their own ventures, and obviously with your extensive background in venture capital, your advice is obviously very helpful for these students. And as a college student myself, it's really inspiring to hear about how you kind of uplift the next generation uh, who wants to pursue their own venture. And um, along with this experience that you already touched on, you partner with Sarah Ventures, and this uh, company is a early stage venture capital right. firm yep. and basically you invest in companies emerging um, in these midwest technological centers so uh, to that end uh, many students are forging untraditional pathways and looking to directly enter venture capital these days and as someone who currently leads the charge with vc investing what advice would you have for students looking to work in vc on how to source early stage pre-seed startups beyond websites such as TechCrunch. Yeah, so if you want to be a venture capital investor, I would say try to find a way to get hands-on deal experience. With regard to sourcing deals, which was your specific question, you know, by the time the deal's in TechCrunch, it's too late, right? It's, it's not proprietary anymore, everybody sees it. If you, uh, really want to get involved, I would say hang out at the incubator spaces at your school. Um, not just the student startups, but frankly, a lot of the faculty are working on really interesting projects. And the thing about the faculty is a lot of them are deep scientists, lots of years as researchers, very little business background. So a lot of those guys really need help on the business side. And I think that could be a very interesting angle. Uh, for a student who could spot something interesting and then help, you know, help the faculty build it out. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that advice. That's really helpful given um, we're at Berkeley and we're near Silicon Valley and startups are a really big thing here. It's something a lot of students are interested in getting involved in. And um, it's great how you help these undergrad um, students at Northwestern. Um, so you help guide these students who want to be, uh, begin their own business. And, um, I just wanted to know what advice you would have for the next generation who wishes to start. And, um, then, so you kind of described that, but how would they sustain and grow their own venture? Yeah. So I think, Nina, truthfully that, um, unless you just have an amazing idea, 
you are probably just as well off hanging out with other entrepreneurs who are getting started, who are at, you know, a, a somewhat later stage, maybe getting ready to launch a product. You can learn a lot from being involved in another company. And some of what you're going to learn isn't happy news, right? Because you're going to see a lot of the problems and a lot of the challenges. And it's better to do that on someone else's dime, frankly, than on your own. Because by the time you, you start your own thing, you really want to have some of that experience under your belt. I mean, that would be my perspective. I know at the University of Illinois, and I do some work down there still too, they have a really great accelerator program. And so students who are looking to push their startups forward will go into that program. Um, some of them come out the other end and have viable businesses. A few of them have been very well funded, but a lot of other students are really doing it primarily for the learning experience. Mm -hmm. It's so inspiring to hear how you've worked with um, undergrad students, as I said. And um, I was just wondering, you talk about these accelerators. What exactly would students be getting themselves into when they join these accelerators? Yeah, they're different formats. Um, sort of the most traditional format is, is kind of the Y Combinator or Techstars format. And those typically are three-month programs, two-month or three-month intensive programs. A lot of them are in residence. So you will go, Techstars Chicago, for example, you will go to a physical place where your team would be in a big room with the other teams. Typically, there are 10. Uh, you are provided with some capital. That, that piece of it has actually grown. When I first started with Techstars in 2010, which was when it launched, I think the teams got 25K, that was it for the summer. Now it's substantially more than that. But you get a little bit of capital. The big thing you get is mentorship. And most of these programs will recruit mentors. And again, you wanna check the, the experience of the specific program because you know, some are able to attract more experienced folks than others. Uh, but typically the first month is just meeting after meeting with mentors from your industry, from entrepreneur world, from investment world, uh, maybe from a customer or two. If you're targeting a government buyer or a big company buyer, they'll bring some of those people in to talk with you. And it's a little bit like speed dating. I think it's very overwhelming. I would say probably a good 80 to 85% of those meetings are what I call dry holes. You know, it's like, okay, nice to meet you, but nothing's ever going to come of this. But then there are the ones that stick. And if you can find, you know, one or two long-term mentors slash advisors out of that experience, that is amazing. The third month, at least at Techstars Chicago, is all about the financing. So it's about understanding what your first capital raise is going to look like, what your pricing and your structure are probably going to look like, and then how to start thinking about financing in the future in a strategic way. So I'm going to raise this seed round. It's going to get me to here. Then I can raise more. Then I get to here. Then I can raise more. Because these financing um, rounds are really steps to the next round. And if you don't achieve milestones that you need to, you're stuck. You can't raise money anymore. And this happens a lot. Companies will raise that first round, and then they kind of plateau out, and they're not able to then continue on. So you learn a lot about that in the third month. And then typically, these programs culminate with what they call demo day which is where each of the companies will stand up and do a pitch to a room full of invited investors. So it's high pressure, very intense, ton of fun if you're an investor and you get to just watch everybody do the, do the big show. Uh, and then the hope is that you're able to, to connect with a few folks who do want to write checks into the business. Uh, so that's, that's how good accelerators run. Um, 
you know, I've had experience with Techstars. I think I was an investor, an LP in Techstars Chicago for seven years. And I was probably a very active mentor for about five. And it was, uh, you know, it was crazy. And some of those companies have gone on to do really cool things. So a great learning experience for everybody. Yeah, as someone who has that leadership role at Northwestern, at Kellogg, and who's worked with students, you know, you mentioned um, in, in Chicago, at Booth, you've had such an extensive experience uh, with working with students who want to get involved in these accelerator programs and who may want to jump into the VC space yeah. as early as, you know, outside of, just immediately outside the four years of undergrad. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And just switching gears a little bit, you know, um, I, as a person of color, I think it's super important that um, the entire, you know, space of finance is more inclusive and equitable. Right. And, I agree. Yeah, as, you know, as a woman as well in a male-dominated industry, um, I think it's also super important that there's more representation um, and more representation of often underrepresented backgrounds in a field that is male-dominated, uh, dominated by uh, Caucasian people. Yes. And yeah, just going off of that, um, can you speak more to your experience as a woman in finance and how, um, you know, there may have been some challenges you faced as a woman in finance um, because it is such a male-dominated industry? You know, that's a really interesting question, Mihir. When I, back when I was at Continental Bank, and Continental Bank was kind of a 50-50 shop, men and women. Not a lot of people of color, but, but gender-wise, we were pretty evenly split. Uh, you know, the industry that I worked in was the equipment leasing industry. I can count the number of women in that industry on the fingers of one hand. I mean, there just weren't any, right? So I got used to it very young. You know, I was 22, 23. It was all guys. And so I just never really thought about it that way. What I learned about true entrepreneurs, they really only care if you can add value which generally means whether you can bring good ideas to them that help them be successful and make more money. They really didn't care. And because at that point, being a woman was not my biggest issue. It was the fact that I was really young. I was working with guys who were 45, 50. But if you could bring them good ideas, suddenly the CEO was dropping by or just kind of had to you know, be in the area or just kind of randomly would give you phone calls. So that's part of the reason that venture capital to me has always been a great place to be. Because if you're dealing with true entrepreneurs, they don't care. So that's not even an issue. Now the investor side of it, which I think is what you're, you're talking about, that's a little bit of a different story. And you know, like you, I really think that the community has done itself a disservice by being so homogenous. And it goes beyond gender and color, it's, you know, very few of them went to state schools undergrad. A lot of them are the same religion. They grew up in the same suburbs. They play golf. You know, it's, it, it's a very homogenous crowd. Venture is, is homogenous. Private equity is extremely homogenous. So, you know, that's got to be busted because when you think about the amount of capital that those people control, you have like this tiny percentage of people in the world controlling a way outside amount of resources. And there's no doubt that they miss a lot of good stuff. So I think that's, that's a big part of the challenge here. Uh, I do think it's busting down. I was talking with a private equity investor who hires students from Kellogg. You know, they were really struggling with getting women into their funnel. 
you know, the women would look at the slide and it was all these white guys on it and they would go, well, you know, why do I want to go into that? And so we worked really hard on how they could strat strategically start bringing more women into the top of the funnel. Now they've had success with that. So now this guy called me and goes, okay, that worked. So now how do I get people of color in my funnel? So we were coming up with some different ideas and a lot of it involved our student groups at Kellogg and, you know, getting involved in some of their programming, which I think would be a big help because I don't, I'm not sure that, that those students even think about this as a career for themselves. It hasn't been something that's been front and center in their, in their world. They're going to need to be marketed to, you know, we're going to need to reach out and go, Hey, you know, we do want you to think about this career path and start pulling them in that way. So we're working on it. I'm telling you, because it's got to happen. It really does. Mm -hmm. It's really inspiring to hear from a fellow female and the challenges you face because, um, I think it definitely starts young, especially when you're a female or person of color. And hopefully, you know, diversity efforts by companies that are arising can help, um, you know, diversify the field. And it's really fascinating how your age was a whole different challenge you had to overcome besides being a female in the field. Yeah. It's impressive how you were able to have such an impact at a young age with older males while you were working. And uh, in particular, I really appreciated your insight into how you're dealing with true entrepreneurs. Gender isn't a big challenge, but when it comes to investors and private equity, it's an entirely different story where the entire space, as you said, is very much homogenous. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, you know, and Nina, I, I don't, don't mean to interrupt you, but I also do want to say that I am not a huge fan of separate tracks, right? So you'll see a lot of women-focused funds. I don't like that. The women should be part of the regular fund. If we need separate funds to invest in us, that's a problem. Uh, that is not the way to go. And it's the same with, uh, you know, people of color funds. I'm only going to invest in this. No, the fund needs to be going out and finding those businesses. Mm -hmm. I agree 100% with you. I think they're really splitting it up. And uh, I hope there are people like you in the next generation who will make an active effort. <laughs> To break up you guys are so much far ahead you're farther ahead than we ever were you're like <laughs> yeah ahead. yeah so i hope the status quo of the uh homogeneity you discussed is definitely switched up so um from getting your cfa to partnering with a vc firm to teaching the next generation about startup growth you clearly have quite a bit of knowledge about the world of finance as we've seen and uh with that being said we want to end this Discussion like we do with every speaker by asking how would you define finance and why would you define it that way? Yeah, I, that is a great question and I know you had sent that to me earlier. I thought boy that is a really insightful question to ask. So finance to me is the allocation of scarce resources in a way that's the most efficient. Typically we think of that in terms of ROI, right? A number that we're looking for, but, but truthfully looking out at all the really good ideas that are out there, and there are lots of good ideas, there isn't enough capital for all the good ideas. It's the job of finance to figure out which ones of those good ones are the great ones, which ones we can really fuel with some capital and with some advice and some assistance and you know some getting in there with our muscle. That's a privilege, quite honestly, because there are people that have the money and there are people that need the money and we're the one that bridges that gap, which is what makes everything work. Yeah, thank you for that uh, short response. I think it really encapsulates <laughs> what you know about finance. You know, you have such a unique perspective 
Um, you have worked extensively in the field. You know, you mentioned we started off this conversation just to bring it full circle. You talked about your experience getting your uh, CFA degree, and then you also touched on, you know, how you've been a professor to different people, how you've worked in different accelerator programs. And then, you know, you've talked just so extensively about everything you've done in the field. And I think one of the things that definitely sticks out for us from this conversation um, is definitely that you have one perspective that kind of revolves around academia and that space, but then you also have this entirely separate perspective revolving industry. And you know, that's what we hope to bring here at Future Sur Finance is a speaker like you who has that holistic perspective on the industry. So thank you so I much. I feel like I'm all over the place, Mahir. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear you call it holistic. That makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, I, I personally do think it is holistic. I do think you have such, I think it's just such a wide breadth of experience. And I think um, we really appreciated everything you've said today. All of your commentary was so amazing. And with that, we just want to wrap this up. Uh, if you wish to learn more about Miss O'Connor, feel free to connect with her on LinkedIn um, or contact futuresforfinance at gmail.com and we can connect you with her as well. Um, she's more than willing to chat with each and every one of you out there who wants to learn more, especially if you are a college student because she works with college students each and every day and she has such a passion for um, you know, providing advice as she did throughout our podcast today and providing expertise to the next generation who wishes to break through in the finance industry. So once again, thank you, Ms. O'Connor. We truly appreciated this and we hope you all have a nice night. This has been great. Thank you, Mahir and Nina. Really enjoyed it.